Welcome to Charmaine Wilson, the Australian Medium Podcast. Good morning and welcome to my podcast where we discuss life, the afterlife, love and loss. Um, but today we are still continuing my book, Spirit Whispers, and we are up to chapter eight. Okay. Now, I just want to go back on the last chapter for a second. That chapter, as I told you earlier, was very, very hard to write, uh, to write and read, actually. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but the reason that I really wanted to write my book, I remember when I started to write this book, I was implored by my guide to write the book. And he insisted that I write about the drugs and everything. He said, because if you don't, somebody else will. At that time, I had no inkling about how popular I was to get or that I was to go on a TV show. And so you can imagine only like five short years after giving up um, my addiction at that point that it was very confronting to have to write about it and then try to um, convince people that I was not some type of crazy. So, But it had to be done and I'm glad I did because eventually when I went on the show The One, there was an old associate of mine that was all over the Channel 7 website telling anybody who would listen <clears throat> about my previous addictions. Very nice people out there, eh? <laughs> and I was never unkind to her. I don't understand why she became so vicious, possibly jealous. Anyway, so she was all over that. And what was lovely to see was so many people, maybe some of you listening right now, who actually responded to her and said, we don't care. She wrote a book about it. Shut up. And that was the major response. So it was very, very smart thinking on my guide's behalf. But looking back now, and as I've become a more experienced writer, I'm going, oh my God. So it's, it's type of like, it's very confronting reading this book. But anyway, let's keep going. Chapter eight, psychic boot camp. And it was, it really, really was. Now, once I got the job at the base, my training became in earnest after that. The more telepathic I thought I was, the more I tried to improve my ability communicating with six or seven voices at a time. Still thinking that I was part of a military experiment, I listened to my trainers with an image in my mind of men in uniform sitting around a table talking to me through some kind of secret communication device. They would get me to look at someone in the supermarket and try to tune into them to see what they were thinking. The more I practiced, the better I became. I started to read people all the time. <laughs> at the supermarket, at work, in fact, everywhere I went. I remember one day at the checkout, I could just tell this young fellow wanted to be working on his car rather than, it's, rather than checking out um, people's groceries at the supermarket queue. Somehow I also knew he had blockages in the fuel system of his car. So as you do, I just blurted out all this information to him. He told me I was right. He was preoccupied by problems with his car and was a hurry to get back to it so he could figure out why it wasn't running properly. He couldn't understand how I knew about the fuel blockages, but that was what he was planning to check next. I was mystified myself. I could hear the voices mumbling in the background through this whole conversation. I don't tune into people at random anymore. I feel it's quite invasive, but it was all part of the learning process. As I acti actively developed my tuning in skills, other aspects of psychic ability caught me by surprise. I didn't understand everything that was happening, but I recognised things as they occurred. I would drive to work and somehow by the time I got there, I would know everything that would be said to me when I arrived. Another day as I was driving to work, Peter or one of the others said out of the blue, 
Remember that little ginger kitten you and Crystal weaned? What? I couldn't remember ever talking to anyone about that. I'd forgotten about that little kitten myself. It was so many years ago. How did the military know about these sort of details? I got all teary-eyed. Besides me, only Crystal would have remembered that kitten. Around this time, as part of the healing process, I started to write music and play guitar again. I had put the guitar down when Crystal died. And then again when the boys left. The songs practically wrote themselves. Once I picked up the guitar again, the words were flowing about how, and it felt so good to get them out. I could literally feel the healing effect of my own music as the days passed. Each sentence had so much meaning that the pain inside gradually began to lessen. Once the feelings were expressed, I wrote about my kids, my addiction, how the boy's father made me feel about war and society. I put music to all these songs. There were songs of inspiration too. In a three-month period, I wrote ten songs. It was like I had opened a floodgate. I just couldn't stop. In hindsight, I realised the importance of that time and how deeply healing the music was. I also understand that now that some of the songs were words from my spirit and I, from spirit, I treasure them all. Peter enjoyed my music. Peter, my guide, enjoyed my music and was never far from my side. All the while, the psychic training continued. By January 2002, the training sessions had become very intense. Peter was teaching me to block my thoughts and to follow the flow of his words. It was like drawing patterns in my head. The patterns were trains of words. He told me not to think in my pinky toe because he did not want to hear my thoughts. If I did think when he was speaking to me, my thought would echo over and over in my head like a squash ball bouncing off a wall. It was horrible. Don't think, Peter would command. I tried so hard not to think. I was angry with him for inflicting these mental exercises on me. It was really tortured to discipline my mind. I hadn't asked for any of this and I was really doing my best I could. I mean, not only did I have to hear all their stuff, but now my own thoughts were being pushed away. It was like being a hostage in my own mind. Like in meditation, the more you try to tune out your thoughts, the more you think about not thinking. And it can be quite frustrating. It was really hard to do. And let's face it, I wasn't the most mentally disciplined back then. Peter would tell me to block his words. I would think block and I would hear block, 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 <laughs> echo over and over in my head. It was a nightmare. I really began to resent this man. My trainers would push me as far as my temper or patience would take it. Just when they'd pull back and throw me a comfort pillow. Just when I thought I couldn't take another second, a familiar little voice would start singing. Every little thing's going to be all right. Three little birds. But they had to keep pushing me and they did. Through all this time I was healing, healing, healing. I kept writing those extraordinary songs, often in one hit. And despite the frustrations, I gave my full attention to the lessons I was receiving. I faced up to a lot of things at that time. A very important aspect of the healing process was to acknowledge the part I had played in the life in the path my life had taken. I had to look in the mirror and realise I was responsible for the things that had happened to me and for my reaction to them. In April 2002, I invited Crystal's father over to make peace with him. It took a lot of organising, but we made the effort, our first contact face-to-face -face in 16 years. And by the time he left, we had, to get, we had given a lot of old wounds permission to heal. It did me a lot of good. I hope it benefited him in some way. To, give him, to forgive him in my heart, to openly hug him and say, let's put all this crap behind us, was very liberating. Not just on the surface, but deep in my heart. I had to forgive all the people I felt had hurt me, including the kid's father, for taking, taking the kids away. I had come to the understanding that if I had been in his shoes, I would have done the same thing. I couldn't say, poor me. I had to say, stupid me. I had to play an active role in everything that happened. My life didn't just happen to me. To accept responsibility was enlightening. 
So anyway, so I've re- I wrote a poem. Um, this is a poem and it's called No Doubt. I remember you from long ago. We did time in the old school. I was so very much younger then and, oh boy, did I make you drool. I had magic in my brown eyes and a smile I kept just for you. But as the years slipped by, the world, it rocked us. I know where I went, what happened to you. You seemed so cold and hard. Did I break your heart? If I did, I didn't mean to. But I didn't want to be the bitter, angry woman I became. I wanted to stay the young girl that would seduce you. So I wasn't hanging around to copy your mental and physical abuse. And oh, by the way, whatever happened to that sexy young man that used to make me feel so naughty and beautiful all at the same time? Well, we just froze each other's hearts, forgot how to laugh, and our world, it split in two. Then we took each other's worlds, kicked them to the sky, and we watched our lives fall out. So here we stand, the stomping grounds of our youth. Will time ever heal? And I wonder, as I look into your eyes, which, which of us really got the better deal? As I offer my hand of friendship, you hesitate, and my blood runs a little cold, because we're united by a young lover's pact by our kin until we grow old. Side note on that poem... The kid's father and I finally um, are friends now. So I just want you to know that. Um, it took a long time, but we got there. But anyway, another day. Back to the story. I was attracting all kinds of men at that time, but my guides weren't having it. I had to leave my inner alley cat behind and focus. I felt very exposed being aware that entities could see my behaviours. With someone watching me, I had to take a fresh look at the notion of right and wrong. I was off sex for two years because of the intensity of facing myself and the intrusiveness of the spirits. I'm used to it now, but it took a long time. In fact, I'm grateful for the awareness of spirit around me these days. Um, at the time I wrote this book, I was still crave for pla- cravings for cigarettes and alcohol, but the sense of responsibility I feel towards people who are grieving and those who look for me inspiration helps me make the right choices. Quite honestly, on the odd occasion that I have slipped and had a few... now. This is old, so I, I, I'm going to reiterate this afterwards. I'm just going to leave that one out. Um, so I, I just want to – it says, quite honestly, on the, on the odd occasion I had slipped and had a few sneaky puffs or cigarette or glass of beer, my guides made their disapproval pretty clear. Yes. For four entire years, I did not um, drink at all. Unfortunately, after about a four-year period, I did take up drinking again. This is – a postscript, okay, um, but for four years I did not touch it except for the occasional drink here and there. Um, but I have to say to you, I don't think that I was purely um, um, cleared of my alcohol addiction then. I was a dry drunk. I was doing it because I felt like I had to do it. I wasn't doing it for me. But I, I did succeed to do it for four years. But anyway, back to the story. At this time, Peter spent a lot of time teaching me to clear my mind. He was always also teaching me to listen with my whole body. It was working too. If I went to work and someone had a pain somewhere, I could always locate it. I was still seeing things in the walls and floors if I stared long enough. They looked like faces changing, the main face being a fellow with a beard and glasses. I thought this may have been Peter, but couldn't figure out how he got the face to appear everywhere I looked. I would ask him where he was and his reply was always the same, right in front of you. I thought he was being a smart ass. I wanted to know where his office was at the base. And remembering I still felt that he was an army guy. At night when I closed my eyes, strange visions would appear that looked like pictures on the water at first. In them was this man with a Fu Manchu master. She would be driving a car or just walking around. It was very strange. Was Peter a guy, the guy with the moustache? I kept asking if we could meet and he always said not yet. I was so confused. You see, I'd been through such hell that I was missing the obvious. 
if I'd understand that, understood then that Pete was a spirit, I could have saved myself a lot of time and confusion. Instead, I would walk down the street and look at normal people and envy them. I started to wonder what it would be like with no noise in your head, nobody talking all the time. I would cry at work some days and have to run to the bathroom to hide my tears. I had nobody to confide in. I thought I was training for psychic warfare for the army and was afraid to blow it. I just couldn't understand why I had to wait so long for the formal interview. I had just, I had been just a normal but sad woman before all these voices started. I was totally out of my depth. I needed to find a reasonable explanation for everything that was happening. And because of the job I, was, I had driving the smoko van at the Air Force Base, the military explanation was the only reasonable one my mind would cling to. It was hard to live in a world when you never knew quite what was real. I was still seeing people in the distance. I thought I could see guys in combat gear. At night in the backyard, I would look up and hear noises. Beep, beep, beep. Because at this stage, I was so deeply convinced the army were trying to re- recruit me for a psychic spy job, I thought the beeping was a sign of someone peddling a gyrocopter over the trees. I would hear the beeping and think, there he goes. I had it all worked out. These dudes were up there in the gyrocopters on hot air balloons flying over the trees, which would explain why I heard those twigs breaking. No, it wouldn't be possums at all. It was such a crazy time in my life. It was insane. When I think back now, I can see the entities tried to explain that they were spirits, but I was, while I was living it, I just couldn't comprehend. In my heart now, I feel the pain and grief I'd gone through left me with a deep need to believe that I had something of value to offer the world. I needed to feel that something wanted me, that there was a purpose to all the things I had experienced. If I had what it took to be the ideal military guinea pig, then at least that meant I was going to be useful to somebody. By February 2002, money had become very tight and I was anxious all the time. My rent went behind by about a month. Luckily, I had an understanding landlord who allowed me to do some work for him to pay off the debt. He spray-painted cars and boats, so I helped him by sanding them down. I still had a lot of debts hanging over my head, worrying constantly about where money was going to come to. Once again, Peter came through. He was a terrific employment consultant. Peter told me to go to Ipswich and walk up the main street. He said I would find a shop with a sign in the window advertising for a tarot card reader. If I applied, he told me I would get the job. Well, he was right, as usual, and I started working the following Thursday. I still had the tarot cards I had bought for the book club just after Crystal died, so I dug them out of the cupboard and dusted them off. Although I had used them before while I was searching for Crystal, as I started working with the tarot cards again, there was definitely more clarity and a higher degree of accuracy than before. I felt a little bit like someone cheating at poker, though, because I felt I had a little help. The voices told me things about the client sitting in front of me, which always turned out to be true. I gave psychometry readings, too, with similar results. One day I was out in the shop, front of the shop talking to the owner when she suggested I, t- I hold her ring. The reading I gave astounded her. I astounded us both. A bit later, a woman came in. I held her ring, which revealed to me she was having an affair with two married men. That totally blew her mind, and mine too, if I'm honest. Once during a reading for a female client, I repeatedly heard the name Rose. I had a very, very vivid impression of the snowy mountains. Essentially, I felt them. The client told me that she had an aunt Rose with whom she went to the snowy mountains, but, I, but had died some time ago. I was getting a little confused. At this stage, I knew practically nothing about mediums or contacting the spirit world. To be honest, that side of the psychic world just didn't really register on my radar. I'd used the Ouija board all those years before, but I'd never really understand or had much faith in the process. 
As kids, it was more of a daring parlour game and we always assumed someone in the room was moving the cup. So connecting the voices in my head with the spirits of people who had passed away just never occurred to me at the time. I was still trying to figure out what lay ahead of me in the world of psychic espionage and military mind control. I thought everything I was doing was some kind of scientific experiment and that Peter and the others would show up in uniform Sunday soon to reveal it all. I needed to believe um, that there was more that there was a more mundane or scientific explanation for what was happening to me. Because at the time, I was unaware of any alternative other than mental illness. <clears throat> I, refused to I refused to entertain the idea that I was mentally ill. I battled too hard for my sanity. I pretty much lost everything I ever cared about, but I was determined not to lose my mind without a hell of a fight. Still, I was very worried about the voices I was hearing as they seemed to come from outside of me at times, and from inside of me at other times. The covert military explanation was the most plausible one, but surely by now someone would have physically approached me. I knew I was being tested in some way, but what use would I be to anyone if they drove me nuts in the process of training me? I needed to confide in someone, so in desperation I sought the advice from one of the other clairvoyants who worked at the shop. The clairvoyant sat calmly in his chair, closed his eyes and smiled as he listened to my story. I asked him if he thought it was possible the voices I was hearing were from the military. The clairvoyant calmly reassured me that I was not insane. <clears throat> he gently explained that no, it was not a covert military recruitment exercise I'd been experienced. There was a much simpler and more profound explanation, lowering his voice to a whisper here informing that I was communicating with a 14-foot space alien. Now, you might well imagine that I laughed out loud at this explanation. No, I did not. My mind frankly went through everything I had seen and heard. It all became so painfully clear. Suddenly all the unanswerable questions were answered. At last I had found an explanation that covered all bases. Space aliens. Of course. Why hadn't I picked it? It all made sense. This is why there were strange blue orbs of light, laser beams in the lounge room, visions of other worlds, voices from inside, outside. Alien technology could make all of this possible. Peter wasn't some kind of mind control expert in uniform speaking to me from the military base. He was a highly developed communi being communicating with me from outer space. It wasn't the military who were coming for me when my training was complete. It was a complete, it was a spaceship. I left the shop that, that day with a spring in my step. I had my answer. I couldn't thank the clairvoyant enough. Naturally, he warned me not to tell anyone about what he'd revealed as no one would have believed it and it might jeopardise the great alien mission I was I was sworn to secrecy or goodness knows what might happen. So now instead of searching the trees, I began to search the skies night and day. And I did. <laughs> My imagination was going crazy with the possibilities. The revelation occurred around the time of Chogham. Chogham was a military ex <clears throat> um, exercise and I lived near the Air Force Base. <clears throat> Living as close as I did the Air Force Base, a lot of activity as the servicemen practiced night and day security tactics so there I was out in my back veranda looking at the skies and imagining that each and every one of the aircraft I saw was a spaceship about to land and take me away at night as I drove down the highway my car headlights hit distant reflectors in the middle of the road I was convinced they were hovering, hovering UFOs naturally I would stop and look up to see nothing and get angry damn space aliens I used to lie awake at bed and talk to my 14 foot friend the spirit must have had a ball with me at this time the bedtime conversations went something like this. We're going to come down. We're going to take you. What? Am I going to be dead? No, Charmaine. What about Jack? Well, we're going to take Jack too someday. But you can't take Jack. I didn't mind about me, but I had, wasn't keen about Jack being whisked off into a spaceship to another planet. 
He hadn't even finished school. When you come and fool me, I asked, scared to death. When the time comes, it will happen and we're going to take that clairvoyant too. Looking back, I think that the spirits were a bit cranky that the male clairvoyant had told me they were space aliens. When I reflect on it, I think he must have known what was really happening. He was a very experienced practitioner who regularly did readings at a spiritualist church. Perhaps he was somehow threatened by my early abilities and tried to put me off track. I don't know. Much later, I visited the same spiritualist church where he was a reverend and offered to do readings for his psychic fair. On that day, the spirits were coming through one after the other. I looked over at the clairvoyant afterwards and he was absolutely seething with anger. He didn't speak to me at all for the rest of the day. Clearly, he was dismayed that the messages I had relayed had brought tears to the eyes of their recipients. It was obvious he felt undone. I took a distance from spirituality after that. I had gone to him for help and he had told me I was communicating with space aliens. He had never really wanted to help me. And if that's being spiritual, he could shove it. Now, where was I? Yes, space aliens. Through all this confusion, I had kept in contact with Redmond. And when I started to go on about space aliens, well, he just laughed and laughed and told me I'd finally completely lost it and immediately tried to change the subject. I think he was seriously worried. I even told him I thought they were coming to get me and take me to another planet. Now he'd heard it all. For my part, I was very scared and on one hand relieved, on the other hand. You see, life to me was not a bed of roses. It never had been, so as far as I'm concerned. If it was better someone else, then bring it on. I was game. In the meantime, here I was again on the edge of insanity looking for spaceships and totally depressed. I'd come a long way since 9-11, confronting myself, dealing with issues of forgiveness and so on. Healing was certainly happening in many ways. The problem was I couldn't come to grip with these voices that were all behind it. The advice about space aliens certainly did nothing to help me find clarity. Now, although I don't want to criticise anyone or scoff at his or her beliefs, I really do not believe that there was I was ever communicating with the space alien. I do not. At the time, I believed it with all my heart, but I can quite honestly say the information only destroyed my sanity once and for all. <clears throat> I'm not saying that we are the only life form in the universe and I'm an advocate of believing what I can to prove myself. Until the day I see a 14-foot alien stand before me, I will never believe that I am com- communicating with one. I hope I haven't offended anyone with this comment, but this is how I feel on the subject. I would urge anyone to check and recheck information that does not sit right or causes undue stress. Believe me when I say it's worthwhile getting a second opinion. And I have another poem here. I might as well read it to you. It's called Yin Yang. Crazy, hazy, mixed up days of youth. Paint the picture between tame and uncouth. Were you ridden on a rough road much too long? Are you crazy? Are you lazy? Are you strong? Did you ride a silver spoon to the moon or did society push you out way too soon? Did you lay down on a gold-plated bed? Did tragedy turn your green light to red? Do you wallow in the blues, think of everything you had to lose? Do you stand up for your right, take the day while you ride the night? Do you respect yourself or are you detrimental to your health? Does passion take control or is it love that makes you whole? The future is written in your past. Life is too short. Don't live too fast. It's your life only you can choose. Will you win or will you use? Lose. It's a yin-yang mentality, a fine line of insanity, the deciding, the dividing line of society, two-faced, double-edged, upside-down, crazy land. What in the hell do you demand and are you going to receive? Do you believe? Okay, well, that's that for today. I will be back next week with three more chapters. Um, get my act together, I am. Okay, so thank you once again for joining me. Um, 
that chapter um, that I just spoke about, that was a, that, that, that's a chapter I personally wrote. So it is 100% true. Um, and it was a crazy, crazy time, um, you know, driving around the Air Force Base, doing smoke and trying to stay sane while you're hearing voices all the time. Um, but we will get to the next chapter next week. But anyway, until then, you guys take care. Have a wonderful weekend and I will be talking to you soon. Okay. Bye for now. She talks to angles. Oops. Angels. <laughs> You'll come back now. <laughs>